there, everyone. What is going on in your world today? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 291. And as I say that, I realize like, wow, we're counting down. We're going to get to 300. Honestly, like four months ago, wasn't so sure. I was thinking of like, let's just fold up shop, call it done. You know, 280 something's respectable. That's a lot of podcasts since I think 2017. Uh, but now we're on a roll, man. We're going every week. And this week, I'm actually going to be gone. Uh, I'm going to the uh, ever chilly beaches of Washington State uh, in the middle of like February because that's what we do every February. Uh, we kind of go off to Westport. Because it's cool, man. You get like some sunny days, believe it or not. You get some really stormy days. And so you get all this variety on the beach. It's just kind of a lot of fun. And so with that, I'm crushing everything into the front of this week. So I'm working on closing out Deuteronomy this week, which is just bittersweet for me. Uh just for a number of reasons. I'll share that if you listen or watch or are there on Sunday, kind of the bittersweetness of that, Um, but jamming that all in today, and then also doing the podcast a little out-of-do season this week, and uh, hoping that something comes out of this by the end. So with that, then the question is, what do we do for episode 291? And it's kind of a continuation, but different from the subject matter of last week. And so uh, if you didn't listen to the podcast, go back and check it out. But I was talking about the He Gets Us campaign that's been going on for a few years and the uh, ever-scandalous commercial of people washing other people's feet, and apparently that's a terrible thing in the minds of some out there. Now, again, I understand disbelieving people being critical of religious practice or religious ideas or ideology. I really understand the criticism. That's a lot of money when you could use it in a lot of other ways. Totally get that one. Not really there to argue that one as much. Uh, But there was certainly this idea of like, whoa, this is just really sacrilegious. This is really unbiblical. This is super undoctrinal. This is condoning sin. This is blowing off what the gospel is all about. This is all about just turning a blind eye to the brokenness of people. And I'm like, I think there was something missed in all of that. Uh, But I'm not here to revisit that case. We dealt with that last week. But I've continued to kind of listen to the fallout from all of it. And and there's this part of it that I'm thinking about more. And it's this uh, weird idea that if, if I back out and I'm just listening to the criticism, I'm marked by how ungracious oftentimes the criticism is. And then I was just thinking about it in general. Like, there are definitely the people and pundits out there that represent the evangelical space, and they're always making cases and they're there in the apologetic mode or whatever else. And then I go, but the tone of it, the tone of it just sounds so like, we've settled it, we're certain, you're dumb, we're smart, move on and kind of pull your head out of the sand and realize that we've kind of cornered the market on accuracy around here. Like there was just a certain level of that kind of coming out in some of the critique and criticism. And it was that tone thing that made me kind of think more about uh, what it is we're doing in this world. And so I'm going to tag in to a familiar uh, kind of illustration that Jesus uses And I think it's this idea of being salt versus being salty. And that's probably going to somehow be the title. Jesus calls us to be salt, but he doesn't call us to be salty in the midst of being salt. And I think that often, too often, there is a market for saltiness. And I think there's kind of like this 
this kind of glee about Christians standing up for Christian stuff in ways that are salty and bitey and barbed and kind of proud or arrogant sounding or whatever. And people go, yeah, that's right. Get them, dude. Get them. That's right. Thrash them, crash them, whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at when he talks about what it means to be salt, right? And so it's interesting on this metaphor. Now, let me maybe back up for a minute because some of you may be going salt versus salty. What's the difference? All right. In our culture, there is a little kind of illustrative phrase where we talk about when people are unpleasant, a little bit nasty, uh, whatever else, go and Karen, you name it. We'll say they're salty, right? So it's not like, hey, fun salt. It's like way too much salt. It's like when you go to McDonald's and they're so just slathered in salt, it's like you're just sucking down a salt lick with uh, some hint of potato behind it somewhere. That's salty, right? And you have all met people who have salty personalities and you just go like, man, they're not fun to be around. I don't really know if I want to absorb what they're saying. Uh, I don't know if I want to consider some of their uh, articulation on a topic. Because it just comes across as so, you know, kind of like edgy and angled that you're like, oh, I'll just pass on this. I think I'm going to move on to something else. And this then is, I think, the problem when there is this quest in the name of being salt and light to become salty and therefore ruin the opportunity to actually have a voice in society when it comes to the stuff of Jesus, right? Now, some people will say, well, you know, Matt, Jesus was salty. And I'm like, and Jesus is God, all right? So part of my thing is like, he's allowed to maybe be a bit more salty on some things because he clairvoyantly sees into the hearts and minds of people and knows exactly the space of whatever the event is. We are not that, all right? The other thing I would add in is that I don't have a lot of recollection of Jesus being salty to disbelieving parties. I don't see Jesus being terribly salty to the unbelieving world in any way. Certainly, I don't see him being salty to the least of these, these fringe groups, even like you would probably see in some of the slides of that commercial. I don't see Jesus being salty to those people. I do see Jesus being salty to two critical groups. One, religion. Two, his own disciples. And on his own disciples, it was because they wanted to take stuff into their own hands versus do things that he, as he had prescribed them. So that's part of why he gets salty with them or they struggle to really believe him. And so he's salty with them, kind of confronting them so that they will lean into greater faith and greater obedience. That's one group. And like I said, the other group was religion. And he was always on the case of religion because it was so destructive in his world. In fact, one of the things he says in Matthew 23, I think it is, is he says, the problem for religion is they're shutting up the kingdom of God with their religious agenda, right? So they're basically doing things in such a way that turns other people away or turns other people off because they think they've just cornered the market on everything. And if you don't fit their little vision, you don't fit at all. And so Jesus condemns them. He's like, woe to you. Like, woe to you, you're shutting up the kingdom with your agenda that is not kingdom-based agenda stuff. It's religion-based stuff, it's moral-based stuff, it's mosaic-based stuff, it's control, power, pride, whatever it is. But it's not It's not the true roots of what Jesus has breaking into the world, and so he kind of lays into them. I bring that up because as I listen to some of the commentary uh, this week and I see some of the players that are kind of the biggest voices in the commentary, I, I, I kind of look and I go, 
the way you sound is shutting up the kingdom. The way you sound is so aggressive and so demanding that in the end, it's like, why would anybody be curious about this Jesus character? Because you're making it clear he doesn't like them very much unless they do all of these things in this kind of radical order. And then from that, oh, then maybe he's going to consider you, right? So this idea of him going to, you know, kind of the needy, the broken, the sick as a healer kind of gets forgotten. And it just turns into this weird kind of campaign of who can have the most uh, virtue signaling to the fellow evangelical world over kind of the absolutism of a certain particular variation of the gospel in all of this, right? So the humanity gets lost in all of it, and it just becomes kind of a a pundit talking point or becomes kind of a politicized idea or whatever else. And from that, man, it just tends to be that the most views, the most likes, and the most listens are the people that can be the saltiest. Like the most gracious, kind, soft-spoken people, they're not getting paid attention to a lot in this because, again, the name of the game is shock value, probably in all sorts of different ways. And that's true even in this space. And yet, I think Jesus is trying to get back to, no, I've called you to be something different. I've called you not to be salty. I've called you to be salt. Now, there's three passages I want to talk about in the podcast today that kind of kind of move into this. Now, the first, most people are familiar with because it comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, you know my favorite serpent, sermon. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet by people. Now, I, I want to highlight this for one particular element, maybe a couple, right? First, he's like, this is what you're meant to be. You're meant to be salt. And a lot of people get into, well, what exactly is the purpose of the salt in this? Is it a preservative? Is it for flavor? Whatever else. I don't think I'm so concerned about that. I don't know if I need to really focus on that, except to the degree that somehow it brings positivity to the environment that it's in, right? Because again, if it loses whatever its ability is, then it becomes worthless. And in becoming worthless, all is good for is for people people to trample it underfoot. So whatever this salty thing is, and maybe we're going to get into a minute where I think it kind of goes a little bit more, but whatever it is, there is a right display of it and a wrong display of it. And the wrong display of it is going to look like the right display, but it doesn't have the substance of the right display. So this is where Jesus talks about losing its saltiness. Now, most nerds and science geeks know that salt can't lose saltiness. That's not how it works chemically. But what would happen in the ancient world is that you would have traders or merchants and they would start to cut the salt with other things, right? So whatever it might be. And from that, it would lose its saltiness. It would really be, it just gets diluted by mixing it with other stuff. So you're cutting, 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 and pretty soon the saltiness is less and the other stuff is more. And at that point, it's just meant to be like traction control on an icy day, right? That's all it would be good for at that point. And part of that idea there is that Jesus has a vision that salty looks a certain way, but it's very easy to start loading that up with other stuff and diluting this unique thing that we bring to the table, which in some ways when it's salt, it's kind of literally bringing it to the table and pass the salt, please, right? And so he is at least warning that there is a potential in the quest to be salt, you can become something less than what salt's meant to be. And so he says, and in that case, it literally is so useless or even so destructive, let's just do everybody a favor and trample it. 
let's crush it under feet so it can't continue to permeate the damage that it does, right? That's kind of the idea. But then it goes back to, well, what exactly is this salt thing that we're supposed to be? Well, then I go into the gospel of Mark chapter 9. And he says something interesting. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. It's a weird metaphor and nobody quite knows what it means, right? At best, it just gets this idea in place of there's going to come a reckoning day where we're all going to stand before God and he's going to be like, hey, man, let's do the assessment. You know, how did you do this life? How did you conduct yourself and act and react and talk and act and do and all that stuff, right? That's going to happen. But, but in that, he says salt is good. Okay, so now we're talking about salt has a good function. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again, right? And so again, it's kind of similar to that Matthew chapter five thing. And it's getting back to, well, that's probably going to mean you have to somehow, which in their world, they couldn't have done it, but you would have to extract the stuff that dilutes the substance of salt. You have to extract the stuff that it's been cut with. So it gets back to being salty again. What I just want to notice here is that there is this idea of there's judgment in relationship to salt and then getting back to being salt when maybe salt is not so salt-like, right? And then this goes back to Jesus saying about you're supposed to be salt, otherwise you're just going to be trampled underfoot. What I'm linking together is that there is this direct correlation between judgment and our effectiveness to be salt and the danger to lose that sense of salt by mixing it with other stuff and cutting the uniqueness of salt. Now, with that said, what do I think then is the the thing behind the salt? What is the disposition? What is the, the flavor of salt that I believe Jesus is calling us to? Because is it meant to be a preservative? Is it meant to be, you know, again, um, like uh, flavorful, whatever else? Well, what's cool in the Gospel of Mark is he flatly tells us what the disposition of salt actually is. This is so cool. He says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So in the weirdest sort of way, the way we kind of tick down to what salt is all about and what it means to be a salt-like follower of Jesus in the world is directly tethered to peace. And if I was to just reverse engineer this stuff in, in, in Mark chapter 9 there, I think what he's getting at is, listen, if you don't become an instrument of peace, that is in fact the way you lose your sense of being salt. And if you lose your sense of being salt, one day you will be judged by salt and fire and we will look for what he will look for in the end is, were you a person of peace? Were you an instrument of peace? Were you a person that sought to enter into conflicts and create peace? Were you somebody that tried to down drive and downgrade the agitation in the world by trying to get people to collaborate, work together, find unity, and from that create an environment of peace? That's what it means to be salt in our world. Salt is about peace. And peace is a big deal, man. It's a huge deal. Like when you start looking at Jesus, he says in the gospel of John, you know what? I'm giving you my peace. Not like this world gives. I give it in a very different way. And why does he do that? 
because he wants us to act like his kids. And how do we act like his kids? We're peacemakers, right? Peacemakers are the ones that really show themselves that they are changed by God. It's easy to be hostile. It's easy to have friction. It's easy to be destructive. It's easy to be critical. It's easy to be all these things that divide segments. It's very hard to be the instrument that unifies populations and segments. And that's exactly the commission that we have. And so when I'm listening to all these critiques, what I hear at the core is salty, you divide, but you're not salt where you're trying to find peace. You're not salt where you're trying to unify. You're not salt where you're trying to bring people together and from that discuss ideas. That does not mean in the structure and scope of peace that we have to agree on everything, but it certainly means we don't have to be difficult about everything. And certainly we don't have to be a jerk in the delivery process. Rather, we want to be generous and gracious and kind and model the fruit of the spirit because that's how the real work of the kingdom gets done. It doesn't close doors. It opens the way to the kingdom. It doesn't shut down conversation. It opens up extension by saying, hey, let's continue to work this through. Let's continue to do this. And so salt is about being a people of peace. And if we're not advocating peace and we're not talking about things in the spirit of peace, then we're creating division a lot of times. And that's salty And that's only useful for being thrown underfoot and trampled by people, as Jesus would say. See, what I love, though, is that Paul gets into this a little bit, too. And it's a good reminder for all of us, and I think it directly ties to the conversations that have been happening this week. And it's a good reminder for us as everyday missionaries of how we have conversation, whether it's in person or online or wherever in those spaces that we're doing it. We want to remember this is what it looks like to be a people who embrace the image of salt. Colossians chapter four, Paul says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be what? Be gracious, huh? seasoned with salt. Let it be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What I love about this is the saltiness is about relating to people and doing so in the tone of graciousness where you're customizing the conversation to their person, their needs, their questions, their concerns, their hangups, whatever. But all of this, again, is this idea of life on life coming to bear in hard things in gracious ways, right? Because that is also part of the instrument of what it means to bring peace in our world. And that's the stuff of the everyday missionary. Again, it's very easy to be critical of groups we never spend time with. It's very easy to critique people that we don't see the world the same way they do. But it's very hard to walk across the room or it's very hard to enter into some context and say, I want to know your story. I want to get to know you. I want to be salt in this space. And by salt, I want to be a person of peace, of graciousness, and I'm customizing my words to that end because more than an idea, you matter. See, and that's a big thing. More than an idea, you matter. Now, I know some are going to push back and say, well, wait, though, Matt, the gospel is an idea and that matters more. And I go, right, but the gospel matters as it relates to people being touched by the gospel. And if we can't get to that conversation and we can't get there in a gracious and peace-filled way, man, what are the odds that they will ever embrace this amazing thing that Jesus is offering, this victory from the plagues and problems of life with new life in him. That is a huge thing. And that new life in him is a life that is rooted in what? He's made peace and he saved us by grace. And if there's anything that we should embody, the number one set of traits that we should be known for, it should be peace and grace because our gospel is all about peace and grace. 
And so this is a short one today, but I hope it's a potent one. That when we talk about being salt, it does not mean being salty. I think too often we don't realize that saltiness is the stuff that shuts up the kingdom. Saltiness is what turns hearts away from Jesus. Saltiness misrepresents grace. Saltiness loses sight of peace. And saltiness actually downgrades the superiority of the gospel. It makes it something altogether different. In fact, if anything, I think a lot of the things I hear at times makes it sound like, you know what, when you get your life fixed and put together and you stop acting like a sinner, then maybe Jesus will save you. That's how it gets heard. I know that's not what we think we're saying, but that's how it gets heard from people in these kinds of conversations unless we can authentically come to all the world around us and say like, listen, I, I I was and I still am broken. I was and I still am searching. I was and I still am struggling my way through this. But Jesus is gracious. Jesus has made peace. Do you want to know this Jesus? Because that's the salt stuff that he calls us to. And see, I believe the more we can really kind of do that, lean into that heart, well, then the more we'll be effective everyday missionaries.